What really draws those two in is they're from the same field, 
right to university professors yep and that's what definitely would uh would bring things into light as to how we could definitely frame what we're look, trying to look at exactly. Um, it becomes quite as quite obvious as it really does is just threading, treading the balance, right? Uh, and just discerning. Um, aside from people tend to look at people tend to look at right versus wrong. It's really just fact and fiction, um, right? Exactly that you you both you look at both sources of consideration and um with reference to writing history right that what we're looking at now is two biases you have a bias of oh miss arden was good a bias of oh miss arden was bad so you need to discern exactly what this person is writing why are they writing this right that all ties back again to historiography and just the study of so if we want to give the best presentation of myself looking at this 200 years later is realistically and truthfully to the field itself it's something i keep very high and important is uh academic neutrality and uh recognizing these biases and really uh delve deeper delve deeper dive deeper and see exactly what they're trying to say what they're trying to talk about um it is the neutrality and definitely one thing is to consider is if you're writing this dissection in particular bring in both views what is the harm bring in the both views and why not add your critique as well right so if if we get to the main gist of what you're saying it's basically like uh, E.H. Carr describes in What is History. There is no such thing as a neutral historian because history reflects through an individual's mind and their own biases, preconceived notions, even our experiences in life uh, inform how we interact with those events which actually form history. Yeah, exactly. Which is, I, long story short, I got to the conclusion there is to add in your own thoughts right what are you what are you trying to get out of this and what are you trying to present and uh give your critique right it's exactly that car hit it right on the nail on the on the and with the hammer what i'm trying to say <laughs> yep so now we come to the more uh, testy subject here which is i mean i would personally say since 2001 there has been this increasing conflict in Sikh Gurdwaras and okay so let's go back a little bit in history um you would have heard the name of Gurbak Singh Kalaf Khan yeah it's a it's a name that's popped up from time to time um not so much in really the mainstream of what Sikh dialogue and throughout really the diaspora really in particular talks about but it's it's a name that's that's came up over the years once in a while yeah so depending on how you see it, it's either a famous name or a pretty infamous name. But mm -hmm. see, personally speaking, I don't agree with the Afghana on many things. Mm -hmm. But then, like, I did read some of his works. If I find out there's some controversy, I'll always try uh, formulating my own opinion based on, you know, two differing sides to see, you know, which one I find more... Uh, you can say authentic or factual, and that's what we as 
that's what also non seeks to it's just a human tendency i'm sure you would agree absolutely yeah definitely and see i came across his works and in one of the works he's written this provocative it starts with a very provocative line that the kanda the bata the patase the jal does not make you a seek now i believe this was the same line which they used to uh, kick him out of the pant at the akal first they said we will arrange a video call with him so you know you can present your side of the case but then they decided at the last minute well they said they had a power of failure so whether they actually had a power of failure or not is anyone's guess but if you read ahead in that uh, page where he's written that line he's actually saying that the kanda the butter the whole amrit sanchar ceremony is a way of being recruited formally into the school of the khalsa the rehat mariyada is as important in so far as it puts you on the basic steps of living the sikh life but the ultimate reality the ultimate goal is to live your daily life as per the gurbani of guru granth sahib now yeah you can say he could have put it better but this whole masla basically he had been saying this since the late 80s but the whole problem with him started regarding gurbilas patshai chevi and when this was republished around the early 2000s with the sport from the kaltak Afghana pointed out some events narrated inside uh, like uh, Guru Hargobind Sahib Ji is listening to Sukhmani Sahib but he's thinking about Bibi Kola in a lustful way and he decides okay look you know what stopped the Sukhmani Sahib part I'm going to go get her uh, Kola's father insults the Guru and the Guru says well we will see whether I'm your enemy or your javai you know your son-in-law is a way of saying I'm going to you know take your daughter out of your house or that uh you know hanuman's father actually played a role in you know conceiving guru hargobind sahib ji so there were many such uh, things which you know obviously harjot obray and the mcleod pashora gang would have argued that this was you know sanatan sikhi the pre-colonial sikhi mm-hmm. however the words themselves the references of ghana provided left no doubt as to you know that the offers of gurbilas patshai chevi were you know in a way not praising the guru but making him look like you know any one of these natani avatars with their failings now another thing is and i am sure you would agree these seek texts we really don't know who's read in a majority do be the ones which are accepted as classic seek text all of these grunts in particular with reference to their authors have a lot of ambiguity anonymity animosity we really uh, it's been hard really it has been to discern exactly uh, exactly that in the historiographical lens what these authors are uh, where these authors are coming from and uh, what in particular they're trying to achieve definitely so i believe that back in like well okay so getting back to afghana i mean akal takht jatedar jugendra singh vedanti had a problem with him about this and you know obviously it went into a massive shit show with afghana getting expelled from the pant and you know becoming even more famous among the french but then from the when french he went straight into the mainstream like you were saying the name does pop mm-hmm. up occasionally and now it's popping up with great rapidity mm-hmm. the interesting thing is that afghana actually had a small pamphlet which i believe he made into a book but that book hasn't been published yet and that's that around the 60s or 70s i believe there was a convention at the kaltak where academics decided that you know the so called classic granths we have are raw sources there is there is a lot of history there but it might not be the right history all the way through i mean for example you know 
Shri Gurpanth Prakash of Ratan Singh Pangu accuses Baba Banda Singh of being a womanizer, a mm. maniac. And then, you know, Pangu is at great pains to sort of reassert that, you know, he became a Gurmukh before he died. Now, Dr. Tillo discovered that by Ratan Singh Pangu's great-grandfather, that was, you know, by Matab Singh's father, mm. had actually played a role in betraying Baba Banda Singh. And Pangu, his disparate treatment of Baba Banda Singh indicates that he wants to tell the truth, but he's also trying to conceal a family history there, right? Yeah, that comes into the lineage of the Tart Khalsa and Shahid by Matab Singh's father. Then, of course, having a role throughout the entire revolution, uh, it is the family lineage which then attempts to uh, distort Pairat Singh Pangu's uh, understanding. And yeah, you're right, he does, if you read through it, really. It's really neatly put in. Um, he really does try to uh, his best to attempt it in the present presentation in neutral view. But uh, you really you do get that sense of what Doctor Tillon was able to come up against. That yeah, there is a there is a little bit of interesting. Uh, his mode of presentation is a little bit interesting, and you can definitely pick up on that. Yeah, right. So you see that a raw source. I'm sure you would agree would probably be something where, you know, there is a lot of information, but no one has uh, shifted through that information. I mean, I have a friend who works at the University of Washington and not a Sikh. So I did put this entire thing past him and he told me something interesting that uh, back in the 60s, there was this massive obsession in America with George Washington and all the uh, liberals, leftists and feminists used to uh, criticize George Washington because uh they found documents from the time which said that Washington used to purchase slaves. Uh, he used to sell slaves and that, you know, the impression that was conveyed from these raw sources, which were unstudied or unanalyzed for a better want of term, was that Washington was your typical white slaver. And when they finally sat down in the 80s and 90s to sift through these manuscripts and see what they could, you know, deduce, they actually discovered that there was one more letter and in that washington writes to jefferson well can we please get rid of slavery in the united states of america and jefferson and franklin and all these others who were you know sporting him at the time told him it's a very uh, dangerous request at the time because this is a new nation we're the founding fathers of it let's not incite a controversy that can lead to a conflict and that led many scholars to discover a draft of the Constitution, which actually stipulates that there should be no slavery in the United States. And then they found Washington's will. And in the will, he's basically saying that all the slaves I have, please do not treat them as slaves, even though you can say they're slaves in front of our society, because that society does accept slavery. And I don't want these slaves being persecuted. So... At the same time, make sure they're highly educated, they're proficiently fed and kept clean, and they're treated like you would treat my own children. And when they rediscovered all this, there was this massive uh, reclaiming of George Washington, and there was this massive uh, reconciliation with his image. But that only came about because a new narrative was formed from the raw text rather than allowing those texts to dictate the narrative. But unfortunately, what we have at Sikhs today is that many people almost worship the Surja Prakash and Gurbalas as holy texts, but they're not creating a new narrative from there, a refined narrative. Rather, they're letting those texts and the 
biases of those authors dictate what's the key is am i right i i i can't i can't put it in any other better way yeah absolutely um i think car had put it really neatly where he had mentioned that um that he was um up to date in recognizing that anything written in the 1890s must be nonsense but not yet advanced enough to be committed to the view that anything written in the 1950s necessarily makes sense and that is the whole point of looking at these sources as raw and what you had mentioned there um from your friend at the University of Washington in this rediscovering of these uh Washington era um sources is that we're able to now get this new raw information and take a step back and look at what we've done and where we've come as understanding George Washington as a person and now how can we ourselves obviously transfer that to what we're looking at here as to what we are saying as raw sources of gurbalas parshay shemi suraj prakash mahima prakash anything right um these are uh the, this has become a bit of a trouble uh troubling not so much for sick academia in particular but let's just say uh a bit of the more a bit of the more religious views that um quote what is in here is truth right and it's something that uh really cannot be uh, questioned and if it does end up going to be questioned then there's a problem and you might not be a gurmukh of guru nanak anymore and you see that this might be too late for them but saudi arabia uh mohammed bin salman bandar i think that's his name their new crown prince he recently released a statement which sent the islamic world particularly the sunni islamic world in a furor is that the hadiths written 200 years after muhammad are not considered in his view as being authentic and they need to reclaim muhammad's life and the quran from the hadiths and the thing is that in islam if you don't have the hadiths you don't know what the quran is saying essentially you lose maybe 90% of islam straight away but similarly are we seeks running the same danger here if you are prizing these historical texts above the gurbani of guru granth sahib i wouldn't even say we're running the same danger i really think we're in the pit um it's it's really as simple as that uh when you start to take these historical texts as to what they're supposed to be historical texts but then push them forward to really the same reverence as almost gurbani uh you lose the meaning i say you lose the meaning of what is actually trying to be shared there and um i think car had mentioned uh something along the lines of what uh the person writing in the present so at that time the past but for them the present uh they expect their work to be superseded again and again and again and that's what we need to build on as a bunt as our knowledge karm singh historian would have been writing knowing that eventually then a pai khan singh nabba would come to supersede it whereas then a dr ganda singh would come to supersede it and whereas now of course we have people dr chirochan singh dr kripal singh what not the late js garewal to eventually supersede it this is growth right it's a growth of it's it's natural it's innate nature for us to look back see of what we have and then eventually base have our basis and further grow on it it's it's completely natural but for some reason uh the sangat and the pant have not caught up to this i mean 
if we like you mentioned dr ganda singh and uh, in the afghan seek episode i did dr joginder singh tej khurana uh, recalls how dr ganda singh visited afghanistan but he you know did not see many uh, historical beers of the guru granth sahib or that you know famous hukumnama which mentions the five k's mm-hmm. or these other hukumnamas written personally by guru gobind singh ji to the afghan sikhs anyway they have them in india and uk now because they are obviously moving out of afghanistan so you know by chara failing with the taliban but then mm-hmm. like you were saying superseding and growth dr ganda singh actually dismissed the hukumnama as being you know speculative but then you see gobind singh mansukhi came along and confirmed it was authentic so you have this growth mentality going on however when you mention the growth mentality what i see is that you know tadis ragis even you know typical sikhs they will say that you know we are talking with the authority of dr ganda singh's works is this actually right or are they failing to see that even gandasing was fallible in a way well they're all really fallible in a way i mean you take a look at this reminds me now of well we have right the um in a previous podcast that you had of the persian sources and the mughal darbar court records on the shahidi of nawab pasha uh gurudev bahadur sahib and yep. uh right these um right like uh kavi santok singh nihang pai ratan singh pangu they would not have had access to mohammed kasim's ibratnama or rai surjan pandari's khulasat utwark right so yep. it's all infallible in a way really and there again it comes to one's judgment and understanding of historiography as to what can i posit here as fact what can i posit here is fiction then later goes on to what can i posit here is right what can i posit here it's wrong it's really nuanced right but that's not to say that it's entirely uh fallible but there are some parts which you know require updating obviously after time i mean oh yeah before before dr tillo discovered the documents you know citing that binod singh betrayed banda singh dr ganda singh explained it away saying that well you know binod singh uh, had a disagreement and he left and before that we see pai veer singh dismissing that this might have happened all together just saying that pangu is trying to explain something that happened before his time with you know the logic he was using so in your work when have you actually ever come up against sangat who's been hostile to such critique i i could say i have um both in person and online and it's once again it's just the sangat stuck in that uh, stuck in that sort of mentality i know um especially here in the scene in particular across the the greater toronto area um it's really especially in the diasporic youth it comes up to jathebandi and who you're associated with and it it comes as kind of a shock or maybe a step back to most people that i say hey i'm just a i'm just a normal keshtari Singh of the Sarbat Khalsa, I don't form with really any Jatibandi. I'm really on the heavy, heavy lenient on the academic side. And uh, I try to try to work in into conversations for Sangat to really pick up on that uh, sort of, hey, let's, you know, uh, while we're praising and looking at, let's say, Siri Gurpati Prakash or Gurpatap Suraj Prakash, let's, let's take a step back and let's try and at least understand where was the author coming from and uh to uh even mention just a basic understanding of critique there uh, i get kind of side eyes and uh weird looks so not something that i'm uh 
not used to, but it's definitely evident and it is a thing amongst the Sangat for sure. So, before we discuss how to change this mentality, how did this mentality, do you think, start? Because, I mean, personally speaking, I I wasn't born in the 80s, to be honest. I wasn't born before the 80s. I was born in the 90s. So, I remember, you know, elders at home talking, you know, they were with Santa Jarnel Singhji, they were in the Kasan unions, and he used to come and meet them. They had a lot of for him, but... Over time, I mean, even today, my grandfather remembers he actually fought his way over from Pakistan, Lailpur, back in the 40s. And he remembers that 50s onwards, you had Gyani, uh, Gyan Singh, Radewala, Kartar Singh, you know, who used to translate English and French, even Spanish and Russian works into Punjabi and, you know, Gurmukhi for the common masses. So in a way, Sikhs had a lot of access to information from other perspectives, other languages and their own language and their you know own script. But since the 80s, he believes that you know individuals with vested interests or a fanatical streak have hijacked the image of Santa Janel Singh. And why I'm saying this is that since the past few years there's been massive controversy over the Suraj Prakash Granth. And we can see that you know, Puneet Sahani, that idiot, brought up this uh, thing again that Harinder Singh Chopra found two authentic manuscripts of the Shri Gurpanth Prakash, which mention, you know, Pang, Sukha Guru Gobind Singh Ji manifesting Devi Guru Nanak being a descendant of Raja Janak. Except those two manuscripts, I believe, are in Chandigarh and they're still undated. Even Chopra was unable to date them. So all the dated manuscripts we have, all 20 of them, say something else. Regarding the Suraj Prakash, you do have commentary by, by, by Veer Singh, by, you know, Dr. Ajit Singh, or like I believe you have commentary mm-hmm. by the SUPC. But then suddenly some individuals are claiming that just because Santa Jarnail Singh Ji used to do Kata from it, it means Kavi Santok Singh was pure and pious. And if he's saying that uh, Baba Ram Rai was born because Guru Harai had an affair or Guru Gobind Singh Ji could not wake up without, you know, uh, intoxicating himself on a theme every morning, it should be all right and all authentic. Now, how would you deal with that situation when they bring in a figure like Santaji in here? That comes on to, yeah, exactly that, the critique of then, then you're now, right, you're challenging what's been the established narrative. And it's something that's always been frowned upon since the Sangat's been establishing this sort of view. Um, in particular for me, let's say bringing up Santaji, of course, I myself am from his village anyways. But nevertheless... Um, there, there is this belief that, um, which I do hold on to, I do hold on to, to a good extent is the, the Puran Mahapurk or the Brahmgyani, they, they have an elevated understanding of which, uh, the commoner like myself, uh, would not be able to get to. Um, and although it could be true as we may not have that Avasta, um, but it's just in my nature for me in particular to just take a look at it uh, academically and just and be critical uh, as to what we're looking at. And it may not even be so much as to what is presented, but more so of what is in turn then being used to present or what is being used from internally to then give this sort of or push on a new idea or narrative. So if we were to, if we were to take a look at um, let's say for uh, pursuing a katha on, let's say, Suraj Prakash, um, or 
exactly that. That would just be narrating exactly what each Pankati says and understanding. Um, you, you just get the basic idea. Let's say if you were to hear a Katavachik start rambling in a Gurdwara. But you want to, what you really need to do is listen and really see exactly what is being presented. And we don't get that sort of, we don't get that justice as to um, one giving an explanation of exactly uh, what the author, what the author here is trying to say, where that author is coming from, right? Um, I've heard the Katas of Santji uh, where he had mentioned, um, where he had critiqued Kavi Santok Singh and mentioning this, oh, the author may have, uh, may have understood it this way. The author may have been a more controversial one that I've heard. Uh, which some uh, some sections don't agree with is the author may have been a, an addict of the narcotic, right? Therefore, he would write this, and Guruji would not permit Singhs to consume said narcotic. So, uh, the Sampradayik tradition is uh, is not one to break. I personally believe there is value in it there, but you should be able to challenge. And you should be able to question, not even so much more challenge. You should be able to question. And if it leads to things uh, being overturned or at least presenting a new understanding, which could shed more light on what we're trying to get at, by all means, I'm for it. Right. So when we look at this critique, I mean, so even Santji was, you know, basically critiquing, which is something that is not allowed today. And I suppose mm-hmm. if he had been here today, they would even try silencing him by saying, well, you can't critique this, blah, 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 blah. But are these critiques valid? I mean, if you look at it from, for example, you know, I won't name any names, but there is the famous pseudo scholar who claims that he's found some lost grants and that uh, pre-colonial times, the uh, Shabbat from Guru Granth Sahib on Shrab was understood very differently to how it's understood today. So when you look at uh, such mental acrobatics like that, and then you look at the Guru Granth Sahib, I mean, I personally believe that, you know, words have power and that there is no postmodernist thing that, you know, words have changed meanings or anything. So when you look at that critique, if that critique is based off Guru Granth Sahib, do you believe that critique is essentially valid? Because, you know, let's get back to Kavi talks and some of these grants say that the gurus were, you know, addicts themselves. Do we actually believe that or is it the author writing that to justify their own patron's conduct or their own conduct overall? So are these critiques valid in light of Gurbani? It really, it really comes, it boils down to one's understanding and what they really want to see as truth or not, which then eventually goes on to, oh, feeling over fact, which is never, ever the case. Um, The biggest thing that I do believe Carr does go on to discuss as well is you want to take a look at the gap of which when the source was written and where the what the source is trying to write about, right? Um, I'd always mentally procured this sort of list just to try and get uh, listeners and just Sangat in general an understanding of where I'm coming from. Uh, so, for example, we have a, a short poem Var uh, written by one Pai Darshan Pagat. And what that entails is uh, is written sometime around March to April 1709. And it happened to have been uh, two Mughal officers from Patti, I believe one was Hindu as well, who led a, an, an attack against Harmandar Sahib to take back in depths. Now, 
this comes six months after Shansha Guru Gobind Singh returned to Sachkhand, right? Yep. So if I'm saying you want to get an understanding of a mentality or what you want to place yourself in those shoes, you look at the oldest and you really can get something there. This is six months. So there is value. There's something there. There's something by Darshan Bhagat trying to say. Sirigur Soba by Kavi Chandra saying Senapati, 1713. Right? That's five years after Guruji returned to Sachkhand. Right? Yep. Then you push on to the Gurubala series, let's say by Kher Singh, the historian, 1751, I believe. That goes on to uh, almost half, uh, half a century. We have Mehma Prakash by Surup Das Palla, 68 years now later in 1776. Right? And then, of course, the penultimates, we have Pant Prakash Ratan Singh Pangu, 133 years after Guruji returned to Sachkhand. And then Suraj Prakash by Kavi Santok Singh, now 135 years after Guruji returned to Sachkhand. You need to take a look at where the era in which these are placed in, what they're coming from, what are they trying to write and prove in the era in which they are writing in, right? So there may have been, for let's say Kavi Santok Singh in particular, um, holding up this sort of idea, holding up this sort of uh, translation through a different lens, i.e. we know he was uh, coming from Nirmala school, so let's say, let's just put out there a Vedantic lens, right? Um, these, are, these are things we need to keep in mind, and I might be rambling now, but uh, it's just something uh, that I, I, I always try and urge to the Sangat, even if I'm, I may not be getting the point across, is we need to look at what we're what what we're trying to understand here and why why we can't continue why can't there be another uh a series of a prakash that could come out now and why why can't we look at that as uh as truth uh, uh, as how much it's really grown on the the tradition and what is passed on and uh critique and lens and everything i'd mentioned earlier of determining and whatnot um but that that, that might be what i'm trying to get at there right so for example, there is a part in the uh, Suraj Prakash, and this is something which, you know, postmodernists essentially love to argue that words have changed meanings. And then you have the Hindus and Muslims jumping in on this as well to, uh, you know, put down Sikhs. But there's a part for Guru Tegh Bhadra says, Joring Zeb, that I'm a Hindu. I'm not going to leave my Hindu taran. Hmm. But then you look at the Gurbani of Guru Arjan, which says, nah, I'm Hindu, nah, Muslim. You know, we're not, we're neither Hindus nor Muslims. How would you, like, I mean, which perspective, Gurbani's perspective or the Suraj Prakash's perspective, which one takes high priority over here, especially if there is Katha being done in the Gurdwara? Especially even too when there's Katha being done in the Gurdwara in the presence of Sri Guru Granth Sahib Ji. It is the Guruji. It is the Guru Granth Sahib that comes on top. And I, I've heard exactly what you've mentioned. I've heard that many times before. Uh, propagandists, especially the Hindutva extremists will mention it, uh, that for somehow, somewhere out of the blue, that Guru Tegh Bahadur had told Aurangzeb, it is my Hindu term. No clue where this comes from, right? Because um, this is another thing I mention a lot, and it it should kick gears and start get to pe uh, get people to think. I'd also made a post about this on Vasaki, um, that uh, think of it this way, Guru Nanak founded the Khatsapant on that fateful day in 1699. Yep. So uh, for some listeners, what I'm trying to get at is that we know actively in Gurmat that Guru Gobind Singh is Guru Nanak. What I'm trying to say is 
the next roops that came on after it is the same person it is the same jyot it is all guru nanak like what you had mentioned right how yep. guru arjun sahib says in uh, guru arjun sahib says uh, there's no i'm not hindu i'm not muslim that's just guru nanak in his fifth form speaking right so yep. i so really looking through the gurmat lens which is up on top right yep. you're not going to have another lens that comes in and critiques this it just doesn't make sense it just does not make sense for a gurmukh for a sikh to do but if you have um guru nanak in his fifth form saying that um i am neither hindu nor muslim but then out of nowhere another source outside of guru nanak in his 11th form the guru granth sahib saying that guru nanak in his 9th form as guru teg bahadur had told emperor aurangzeb that it is my hindu dharm that sustains me it just does not make sense i'm always baffled by that so when we do look at that like so that raises two questions down here so you know initially when pai veer singh had his first edition of the panth prakash published that edition of the panth prakash uh, met with a lot of criticism because it turned out he had a damaged manuscript and he would later explain in later editions that finally he was told were more authentic manuscripts sir and he finally concluded after a comparative analysis that the initial manuscript he used was a later day interpolation Mm-hmm. So that brings us to the first question is that when we have texts like Gurbilas and Suraj Prakash all these historical grants and this is what Dr Tillo always emphasizes as well has there ever been any attempts made to find the originals or is it that just because you know so and so babaji used it we are going to use it as well blindly I can't be so um sure on the Granth series in particular right we have Panth Prakash and Suraj Prakash uh they've always been stuck in that sort of limbo as to uh where well, of course original manuscript where they're coming from um I know particularly I had been studying the Janam Sakhis a lot and that too comes of my critique of um and understanding really extrapolation of what uh uh Santa Sayed Pratipal Singh and his work which was released by the family in 2018 on uh, Tajuddin Naqshbandi's manuscript of what Guruji had done in Makkah Madinah Baghdad so on um in particular of that pursuit of looking to where the Janamasakis come from um you know you have one uh saying that Apai Sevadas had had this written in this sort of year 1638 what not i'm just putting that out there i can't say uh but we have a manuscript then coming from 1732 in particular um which have been dated right so uh as in terms of the granth series that we have here panth prakash suraj prakash mehma prakash what not um they've there have been at times many times where people have tried to uh scholars have tried to look into where this dating comes from but it it's it's been a i want to say personally from my understanding a downhill battle we just can't put a nail on it we really don't know so like when you say we can't put a nail on it is it because there is this uh apathy among the pant that we should not be putting a nail on it because we will be wounding sentiments of the sampradas or is it just a lack of resources and the environment that we are confronting at the moment both politically and socially in india more former um there is really this sort of tie that yes we don't want to break sentiments more so we don't want to break what's already established but the problem is is that if we have something that's somewhat flawed that is established 
this isn't a right mode. This isn't a right way in which the punt is then really dealing with our understanding of history right now. And um, it comes to a point where, and it, it is a reality is then you start looking at external sources, like I'd mentioned, right? Uh, a Pairatan Singh or a Kavi Satok Singh would not have had access to, uh, you know, Kafi Khan Zibratanama or, or anything, right? So by the point that where we are today, we should be able to, like I always, I keep saying it, it's just true though, take a step back, right? Look at around at what other sources of, of even externals of what have been looking at us. For a lot of people like to look at Dabistani Mahazib, uh, reportedly, uh, they say written by a Zoroastrian author, but nevertheless, uh, it is that point where it's the former at what you had mentioned is just to not break sentiments. But the problem is that if we don't have an understanding of where we're headed, uh, what are these sentiments really, if not just that sentiments and not a, a concrete established foundation? Right. So the second question this begs, obviously, and this is something that's related to another story I'd like to recall is a, uh, have you heard about Nidar Singh Nihang? Yes, yes, I have. Uh, definitely a topic that has come up and around, and uh, and uh, I'll have my comments reserved for now. But if we want to delve into it, by absolutely all means. I mean, when you learn several different martial arts, mix them together, claim you have got some ancient Shastra Vidya, and first mm. you market it as Chatka Gatka, then Shastra Vidya, then Khalsa Shastra Vidya, then Sanatan Sikh Hindu Shastra Vidya. You're evolving over time. Mm. But uh, minus his messy divorce case, one thing which I noticed was that him and Nihang Teja Singh, no one has seen this Nihang Teja Singh as far as I can see. And so this elusive Nihang Teja Singh built a website called Sarblo. Mm -hmm. Right, right. I actually tracked down some sources which Sarblo used. So they were basically, you know, regurgitating some cherry picked quotes anyway. And one of the interesting things I noticed was that, you know, Gyani Kirpal Singhji, who was, I believe, the Jatedar of Akal Takht when Operation Blue Star occurred. Yeah, yeah. Gyani Kirpal Singh was actually quite a big scholar because he. He basically branched the gap between the missionary school of thought, which was, you know, based on rationalism derived from Gurbani, but also the Sampradayak, which was more, you know, Vedantic. But, uh, you know, he was actually one of the few scholars who did uh, re-authenticate principles of Bir Singh's research that Sai Miyamir never laid the foundation stone of the Sahib, that, you know, mm. maybe Sai Miyamir's role is overblowing. And, you know, Yanni Kirpal Singh provided this uh, critique, this commentary, but also a revised edition of Yanni Gyan Singh's uh, Shri Gur Pant Prakash, Navin Pant Prakash, I believe. Yeah. And in the Navin Pant Prakash, I think it is there or the Tuarik Guru Khalsa, but I'm still uh, going towards Navin Pant Prakash, is that he provided a little commentary that lots of people came to me and said that I need to change some of Gyani Gyan Singh's words to make the, you know, Navin Pant Prakash more palpable, more accurate. And I refuse to do this because you should not be touching historical grants because if you temper with their uh, authenticity as far as their writers are concerned, 
then you set a precedent which can go against you. And I'm sure you can appreciate that as a historiographer. I do definitely. Yeah, that um, that that it does make sense as to exactly you're not tampering with a uh, with what we have. Um, it is important to preserve. Uh, I, I I respect and I I do admire his decision definitely for doing that. Um, it is one thing to preserve, but I do still stand once again. It is a different thing to critique, and outright, as we have this Naveen Pant Prakash, Suraj Prakash, Prachin Pant Prakash. These are only historical texts. We have come to this point to virtually worship them and hold them at, above water to the point where they reach almost the palki of Guru Granth Sahib, right? It just, it's just not there. And if um, uh, if Gyani Karpal Singh Ji Jathadar had um, reached that conclusion, but had also gone on to critique, that is more than welcome. And that is that should be more than implored and allowed. I don't even think a Jatidar should be at that position. I really think any Gurmukh who wants to know what they're practicing and what they've done, what the Panth is, should be allowed to do that. Yep, I'm agreed down there with you. So Gyanik Kirpal Singh made that statement and uh, Nidar and company took that and pasted it up with this uh, very very subjective translation to claim that you know Sikhi is Sanatan Gyani Gyan Singh realized Sikhi is Sanatan but as Gyani Kirpal Singh says many of the Singh Sabha Sikhs want to change that totally out of context totally out of context if you look at Gyani Kirpal Singh's original words original critique and the cherry picking they did however that begs this question and it's two-sided so should these grants with their failings, be promoted in Guru Kars? Because this was Afghana's problem as well, that what happens the day when these grants start being used as mediums of, you know, translations for translating and understanding Gurbani, or they start being used as the basis for creating a new Rehat So should these grants be promoted in Gurdwaras, or should they be critiqued and then used to formulate a new narrative, which is you know, less poetic, but more accurate for, uh, you know, narrating Katha and Gurdwara. I don't necessarily hold a problem still in maybe a Katha Vachik using a grunt or so. Of course, here in the diaspora, we're just so fixated on this Suraj Prakash that I really can't even say the last time I've heard even a Katha of Pant Prakash. Never, ever heard one of Mahima Prakash. Um, but uh, in terms of... Uh, uh, having them at least for discussion you know that actually reminds me of one point where i i I'd remember hearing some things talking about how at the time of uh the harmandar sahib where um the daily hukumnama would have been read around guru arjun sahib and guru hargobind sahib's time when baba buddhaji was the head granti right after the hukumnama would have been read the sangat would have either inside of the Darbar Sahib or outside in the premises of what is now the Parkarma, would have sat down and actually discussed and talked about, okay, what does the Hukumama say today? Uh, what are we trying to get? What is Guruji trying to tell us today? Right? And we don't get that at Gurdwaras. We just have the Kathavachik sitting and telling us, right? Explanation here, maybe no dialogue, of course. Um, then plays into your second part, which uh, I'm aware many times happened throughout the 50s into the 70s and even the 80s as to where um, taking an Atheya Sikh Grant and 
sitting down, sarbat khalsa, anything really, any modes of any jatibandis or sampradayas with academics and whatnot, sitting down, facing ourselves as the pant and asking us, what do we have here? And uh, what can we gain from it? But also, and this is an important questions that they did ask back then, what have we learned since that this grunt may not cover? And that is a reality, right? Um, of, of, of what they would have been talking about, because that is the critique. And I, I think really, um, I've been telling so many people, especially different, um, people who have messaged me uh, over the past months, really, we, we may really, in fact, be in need of a Singh Sabha Lair 2.0 in based on where we've come and why we're just so fixated on revering these, these next grants as Gurbani. I definitely agree with you. And we are pushing for Singh Sabha 2.0, but unfortunately, we are confronting a lot of problems, particularly with Boomer Sikhs. But hey, brother, I'm sure we will triumph when Sikhs start listening to these episodes, like what you're saying at the moment, and our youth start taking initiative for themselves. So, you know, Guru Maharaj, keep us in Chardigla. None of us should lose heart. Mm. But you bring up that point about these, you know, almost mini Sarbat Khalsas in Sangat Seri Day where everyone could sit down. So who would facilitate these discussions, the Granthi Singh, and how would the Sangat approach it? Like, would it be everyone shouting over each other or mm -hmm. just the people who knew what they were talking about or the normal Sangat? I mean, how would this go? It could be all over, really. I mean, um, when you get to, especially in diasporic understanding, when you get to the point where a Kathavachik is being asked a question which they may have not studied, like, let's say... Uh, anything really along the lines of just the Western rationality or <laughs> is God benevolent or omnipotent and they're not in a position to give an answer. That is, that is a reality out here that uh, uh, would stray away from uh, the, the sort of understanding that we're trying to get at. And even more so where uh, we have Sangat and whatnot getting together and having sort of discussions, which I wholly promote, um, but the thing is to break barriers. And I know, especially in diaspora, where it could be so affixated on this Sampardaya, that Jatibandi. And uh, I'm not a liar in any of those. I, I really do, of course, uh, try to follow at least the basics of what I can get to when it comes to Sikhi and Rayat and whatnot. Um, uh, an un, unbiased path. I know it's a little bit difficult for maybe some people to hear hear me say coming from road day especially, but nevertheless, um, I really think that's the path of true understanding, not for self, not just for self, but punt as a whole, because that's what it really boils down to. We are a punt as a whole, and if outsiders are allowed to pick out this old manuscript of a grunt that would have said this and that, and then question us and have us. We're bouncing around and not able to really get to where we want to go. How can we internally um, look amongst ourselves and say, yeah, we're perfectly fine in a good position as to where we are right now, right? Definitely, definitely. I mean, this is something uh, based on a few personal incidents I've had as well as that, you know, many of our kids are turning towards atheism. Uh, most people are fixated on Christian conversions, Islamic conversions of Sikhs by force. But you look at the reality, atheism is just around the corner. It's growing globally and becoming a rapid danger. And we still haven't woken up to it. But 
the advice I received from Dr. Gurnam Singh, who used to work for Akal Channel, was that, you know, have this Goshti session with children, a learn and go where they come and interact with you and ask you questions. And, you know, like what you were saying, essentially. That said, however, does that also require the attention of the normal Sangat as well? Because, I mean, if you look at, I mean, today I went to the Gurdwara and I swear that 80% of the Sangat was only there for Pakore. <laughs> <laughs> so how like does it sort of require uh interest in the first place or could it just be that a conversation starts and then everyone just jumps in as per their wish it it really does require for us in both short and long term a space and that's where really the diaspora has really come to the, the gurdwara is a space uh where we're able to do these sort of things i have um I have uh, sick friends all across the spectrum from ne- near atheism to just Sajtari to uh, I'm with this Sampardiya or Jathibandi. So um, it's it's really unique and it's very helpful to get all these sort of perspectives. And especially when I, as you'd mentioned, uh, the Sajtari atheist sort of lens, um, getting those inputs and those sort of point of views. Uh, like you mentioned, Pakore, I've heard uh, people tell me we need sports complexes uh, to get <laughs> To have the Sankat active, which I, I agree, I agree, it's good. It follows along the lines of, like we said, Guru Nanak in his second form promoting Akara wrestling, right? Um, yep. Nevertheless, um, we need a we need a, a really basis on uh, what a Guru Kara can provide and what the Sangat knows that is available there. You'd mentioned also um, uh, spontaneous sort of conversations and. Uh, having uh, just people come around who are around and get into it. That's good too. It's healthy. Uh, may not be uh, directed or sort of controlled at all, but uh, which could have, of course, lead to uh, lead to the good old fights, the Gurdwara fights. But nevertheless, uh, it's really so just trying to get people out there. And I was having this conversation literally with the, with the president of my, my local Gurdwara here. And, um, it's he he was hammering at home is that we're not in a position right now where we can have youth in particular come out and and uh do something learn something even too in particular as my proposal was to uh to uh get sort of history seminars going in the local gurdwara and what we can present and it's it's really just that is um what can we do to keep uh keep youth around to uh crush out the atheism even if not so much the the uh, the the reaches of uh, Christianity or Islamic conversion, right? It's 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 just that it's uh, strains my mind sometimes trying to get on that. Is how we can cover this. I mean, that's how Doctor Gurdams and the others managed to turn this uh, insidious grooming gang. Basically, before the technical difficulty, I was saying that that's how they turned that insidious grooming gang uh, wave on itself back in England in the eighties and nineties, but uh. No, I understand what you're saying. So one thing which has always come up even here is that we have building spaces for Gurdwaras worth $2 million, but we only seem to be opening them for Pakore on Saturdays and Sundays. And I've personally been trying to get history classes and even kickboxing classes going at the Gurdwara, but we're just coming up against this massive wall that the people who can get the money are straightforward boomers, you know, with their lack of vision and myopia. Whereas the people who want to do it have this generational conflict with them. And I understand what you mean. So is there any history we can use 
to reinstall that original Sangat system? There, there is history there, uh, definitely. We're trying to create a basis as to how this Sangat system uh, really works. Um, it revolves around what came into later Sakia, uh, which uh, I know one, I believe the Akhandakiya Tinjata may still use, the Panjpiyari system. And um, just having a Sangat in a position to lead, uh, this may be off track, but it is somewhat related. I know there's a Gurdwara right now out in uh, in uh, Fraser Valley, British Columbia, Canada. Uh, it is Gurdwara Kalgidar Darbar, and right now it's the Sangat that are leading a huge charge against uh, the committee there in particular, which stems from a few weeks ago now uh, that the Gurdwara had thrown out in the dumpster a lot of uh important things such as Nanakshai calendars, tea, even a Kirpan, and uh, whatnot that they did not need. And uh, of course, um, the uh, the solution there would have been that the Sangat is promoting now online is an, an Agni and uh, just to cremate it sort of in a Saskara way if you really don't need it. And uh, it's the reclamation of these spaces. And I know the Medipiri Foundation too had touched upon it. It's that um, as Sangat, how do we hold these spaces? I know at that Gurdwara in particular, uh, right now, the uh, their security there are people of the Sangat who have been banned outright by the committee that cannot come through and and hold these meetings, which they are. They're holding these Sangat-led meetings. And uh, it's it, it breaks that structure, of course, that we have these Bajoriks and the Olders, the Elders, however old they are, uh, running the Gurdwara still from whenever they came, they, they immigrated and settled in their countries. Um, it goes against that, but it's just a reality that that system is not going to stay for long. I sent them an email uh, are two of the uh, committee members, the committee leads there at the Gurdwara Kalgidar Darbar, that, hey, like, I just told them, hey, this is, you're fighting against a reality in which uh, you're not going to be here for long. It is a reality. And to the point where the youth are going to come in and they're going to install these Sangat-led systems, um, however affected they may be, you might as well step out now and just let it happen instead of denying uh, the inevitable. I think our people have this thing, you know, when they're so defeated and thrashed that we need to avoid conflict. But that's a dangerous mentality because conflict is good. And I'm not saying that because, look, the last thing I want is people to say, hey, Amarjit on the Sikh Renaissance said conflict is good. Let's go beat up the committee. No, don't do that. But don't avoid <laughs> conflict when it comes. Just jump straight into the fray passionately. Yeah, it's the politics, right? As we know, um, I was just explaining to someone earlier in the day, uh, that um, right? We are we're we're political. We have to be. It's one of Guruji's uh, bentis, right? To the punt, to the sangat. That uh, hey, you you know the Guru Nanak said, you live the householder's life. You engage in politics, and I know it can be argumental, and it's uh, it's a reality as to how feelings flare up. But that's just how we are as a punt, right? It's punt before self, and we need a we need a. I'm gonna say it again. Take a step back and. Look as at where we are right now, and what are we what are we gaining as a sangat as a punt together? Where are we headed, right? And if it needs to be argumentative, so be it. And uh, it's it's just a reality. It's it's our politics. It's our it's the the meaty peaty side of what we're trying to get at. Uh, we all care for each other. We really do. It's not that we don't. Uh, we all wish the best for each other. And as the entire sangat and punt, we're all we're all well if we do well. 
I mean, one of the things I've heard is like children question me, um, is that who died and gave pies the authority to dictate the Gurdwara structure? But then you look at it, it's the committees pushing the pies. I mean, I'll be honest with you today. Uh, I was sitting at the back cutting the receipts for donations and the Paisab is sitting at the front smashing out Vaheguru, Vaheguru, Vaheguru. The screen's got Vaheguru written on there. Some of the BBs are going Vaheguru, Vaheguru, Vaheguru. The men are just looking at each other, looking at their watches, looking at the Gurdwara clock, imagining all the roti and paneer they're going to get. And the kids at the back are literally swearing at the Pai in English, but, you know, mm-hmm. I was trying to keep them down. But then I had this, you know, feeling in my mind that how do you even engage people? You know, I mean, the guy sitting at the front doing his stuff and then later he will ask me, well, you know English, you're from here. Why aren't the kids listening to me? Well, you're not really providing anything for the kids to listen to, are you? I mean, yeah, it's all well and good doing Kirtan, but Kirtan should be followed by Vichar. And I think that comes back to this thing all over again, that when committees realize that there is a lack of vichar, the Sangat might be, you know, in danger of going somewhere else, the money in the Golak is going to deplete. Let's get in one of those Sampradayak pais who can relate some Mathiasik Grant and that's it, you know, we can claim brownie points for that. But the true essence, the true vichar of where we want to be, what we need to learn, and, you know, refining our narratives, clearing up our narratives, that never happens because there's so much sentimentality attached with their past relics. And I'm not saying we need to destroy them. It's just that don't worship them at least. Because, you know, history reflects through an historian's mind. And aren't we in danger of making the same mistakes as those historians and how they see the world around them if we start worshipping them? We are. Um, it's it's just a simple reality as to that. Um, whatever this Agranta may have been saying at that time, we're going to look at it now and all of a sudden say, yeah, that is that is the time. And that's where we need to hold on to that grip and never let go. Um, it's about relating. And yeah, you had mentioned about the Pachara, of course, and the kids and and what's being presented. I, I, I myself, a, lot, a big personal experience for the longest time, I never even knew what the Katawajik was talking about half the time until recently in the few years, probably about 2014, 15 onwards, I actually sat down and something clicked in my head that, Hey, he's actually talking about something here. And, um, but then that might not be for everyone, right? And that's not everyone, especially for the diaspora that, that might not be the mode. And, um, especially if, Oh, one Sumper, like Katawajik is coming in saying that another Jatibandi man is coming in saying that, um, uh, my my biggest goal here really is uh, has been, and we've gained a lot of progress actually recently, and uh, so much so that it might happen, is to uh, have a go around and just uh, you know have uh, these sort of uh, histor- history sessions maybe you know every other week or so, and uh, appeal through it through the academic lens. Of course, you're using the Western lens, but have it retuned so that the kids and at least the nojamans, the teens, the preteens can come in and say, hey, I'm actually gaining something here. It's worthwhile to come here and let them leave from that and then sit in the darbar and connect the dots as to, oh, Katawajik is mentioning something this here. Oh, uh, I'm hearing, I picked up on this pankti here in this kirtan, in this shabad, right? Yep, definitely. And another thing I'd like to add in here is you said Western lens. Now, there are many scholars like Jawala Singh who will say, well, hey, we had a pre-colonial, pre-Western lens. But 
none of them are able to actually define what that lens was. And the Western lens at least works. We don't even know whatever lens was to start with. So why not use the best tool available at the moment? Yeah, and you can also you use that lens to look back in time. And like you said, we don't know what that lens was. Maybe so that said lens may have never existed, right? What I've I've always tried to maintain this balance, and it's it is doable. You maintain the balance between the Western, you know, academic lens, the the mode of the mode of history, along with Gurmat. It's not not too hard. Uh, it may be uh maybe nuanced in some areas. Uh, but when you have this Western lens that's been tried and tested and it hasn't failed yet, um, and you can you you use that to understand Sikhi, and I've never had any difficulty up until this point from my personal experience, uh, where using the Western lens has then later challenged the Gurmut and made me question Gurmut. I've never gotten to that point yet. We know Gurmut's on top, and uh, that's our lens anyways. But using this sort of... Uh, this sort of next, uh, as you'd mentioned, this next historical lens that never existed. Well, I mean, you look at Gurdas Varan by Jatadarpai Gurdasji. Um, it's just narration. I, I, I really don't see, uh, I can't, I haven't picked up yet on a personal sort of lens that he's trying to put through. It's his narration, it's understanding, it's, it's the history, right? And we look at that through the Western lens and say, yeah, Jatadarpai Gurdasji is saying this, he's saying that. It adds up here, it makes sense there. Um, it's tried and tested, and it's it still stood true, and I, I it's never compromised my understanding uh, uh, for Sikhi and for Guruji's Gurmat. So I I really don't see even going into the future uh, why it would and why change it. That that's right. I mean, I think most of these scholars are just trying to make a quick buck over you know this unnecessary controversial Western lens, pre-colonial lens, etc. I mean, it's come to a point where some of these are. Uh, Feminists are saying that modesty is not a C concept. And I asked one of them, so what, in pre-colonial terms, we were all going fully naked, and I got blocked. <laughs> but mm. you, you sort of see where the stupidity leads you down to. It leads you to a slippery slope of ridiculousness where there is no limit to how low you can fail in the first place. Yeah, exactly that. It's exactly that. Any help? On the historiography side of things, do you believe there is a difference now being made or do we still have a lot of uh, time to go before we actually climb out of the pits we have dug ourselves into? No, I do believe there is some work that needs to be done. Um, I don't can necessarily say uh, in particular, as much as I paid attention, uh, that we have may have even started to work towards it yet. Um, there is this, um, there was this project, uh, that I, I did want to do, and I know I'm going to get to it is to, um, I, I, I am trying to get, uh, a physical copy. I'm returning to Punjab soon and I'm trying to get physical, uh, books and recensions really of anything, right? Whether Paisa by Veer Singh had done, or maybe Paisa by Rindir Singh, this exegesis is on Suraj Prakash and whatnot. And I'm trying to, I'm trying to take a, take a look at all of it and really just trying to, uh, tie it all in into of course what is Kavi Santok Singh saying here what is Bhairat Singh Pangu saying there why did these people then pull out this this and that why were they able to say this um, it's a start and I really do think that if not of course you're not writing it down into a book format or anything really uh, you should do mentally 
every Sikh should do mentally. Um, and you should see a lot of progress from it. I had mentioned earlier, right, that um, it is the progress that we get from, you know, of course, let's say Akavi Santok Singh to then... Uh, um, to then a Gyani Gyan Singh, to then a Karim Singh historian, whatnot. It's all progress, right? And they may have these sort of nuanced things that they say here and there. They wouldn't have had access to something that would have uh, furthered our, or deepened our understanding there. And um, to much credit as to um, uh, the historians and whatnot that we have now, I, I really want to give to you know doctors such as you know Balwant Singh Tillo or even a J.S. Gareva, the late... Uh, even the late Dr. Nandan Singh Kapani, right? All these sort of um, all these sort of peoples um, who Jatebandis uh, they present a bias in their in their understanding. Um, I personally may have may hold some above others, right? Rightfully so. But um, I don't. I've yet to see a fault in the Sikh academic understanding too, and it's not obviously pursued. Uh, in our local gurdwaras here, especially amongst the diaspora, of course, online, this Instagram page, that Instagram page, this whatnot. Um, but it's uh, it's a start, at least in there, in those said circles as to what we're trying to get at. And uh, let's see if we can push it out. Yeah, I suppose so, because uh, a few years ago, I met Harjinder Singh Maji, and I did have a talk with him regarding all this. And he told me that, you know, at the end of the day, these texts need to be refined, definitely. Maybe they need to be taken off the market and mm. just, you know, exclusively used for academic purposes. And and that said, though, you know, end of the day, take the good and leave the bad, because, you know, we all agree that the gurus weren't Amlis, like, you know, Santok Singh has presented them, but then he's actually typecasting the aristocrats of his times and probably trying to justify their conduct. Uh, if mm. I remember correctly, Carr mentions Goethe, who was a German, I believe, who actually... Uh, wrote a history of Athens, and when he's discussing the Athenians, especially their, you know, conquering expeditions, like they had a pretty impressive navy in their heyday, he's usually at odds to describe how Athenians, like he, uh, you know, obviously exaggerates elements of Athenians having dialogues among themselves that, you know, are we doing the right thing? Is what we are doing right? by destroying a civilization or, you know, subjugating it and bringing it to our, you know, perspectives, our way of life. And, you know, Card describes this because around Goff's time, Britain was slowly beginning to erode its colonial uh, power. And, you know, the British, obviously, on the street were always wondering that, you know, is colonialism right? Are we doing the right thing? So in a way, you can see how people typecast the realities of their day onto the history they're writing, especially historians. And you can see that maybe Santok Singh did this as well, that, you know, he was trying to typecast the aristocrats as patrons onto the gurus to justify their conduct, even though he was taking a massive creative license. But then these are the sort of things we need to pick up and, you know, discard and leave the good behind to, you know, sort of bring out this narrative. because. Generation to generation, century to century, countries and peoples always update their narrative. I'm sure you agree with that. Yep, nations grow and the nations uh, uh, learn from what they have historically into what they want to present both in present and future. Um, as for the Puratan Granth, you know, Sarup Das Palla, Kair Singh, Santok Singh, Ratan Singh, they are allowed to be wrong. It's fine. 
it's no different as to what we are doing now. There is no difference between a J.S. Garewal and a Karam Singh historian and a Kavi Santok Singh. They are all historians. They all did their craft. They did it well to their extents. And it's exactly that. They are allowed to be wrong. But when we start looking at these sort of grants as it is forever Gurbani and cannot be questioned, you're, you're, you're setting yourself up for failure. Yeah, definitely, definitely. So I believe that at the end of the day, we need historiographers like you to not rewrite the history, but refine it because there will be truth in there. But at least it's a truth which we can understand today while, you know, rejecting all the irrational stuff. I mean, one of the biggest things I've always had is, you know, kids who study history, Sikh history, will ask me that uh, if Baba Deep Singh Ji fought without his head, then why does Gyani Gyan Singh mention it in the 20th century? But why doesn't Pai Ratan Singh or, you know, even Kavi Santok Singh mention it in the 19th century? Uh, why doesn't someone mention it earlier? And you end up with this massive problem where you want to say something, but you don't want to offend someone's sentiments as well. Yeah. Yep, exactly that. Um, I remember having this uh, conversation with a with a Jain who had come into the the Gurdwara, and he had mentioned that. Um, you, when you start sort of going on to the mystical path or sort of uh, the semi legendary, it leads to eventually you run into the problem is understanding versus glorification. And you don't learn anything from a statue. You don't learn anything from a painting, right? You learn from the text, you learn from the work, you learn from the understandings then further done by others on the same text. And even for Carr's work, Carr had passed away before he could even get out uh, a second edition of his own. And there were revisions of those done and it's it's just a reality right that's just how things work um the glorification it's it, it it leads to it can lead to more questions than answers really especially for even the young diasporic six who want to get in tune as to uh in tune with their sikhi i mean this is what i always say to them about baba deep singh ji is that baba deep singh ji fighting and getting his head cut off wasn't the title sum of baba deep singh ji's life Oh, yeah. It was the end of his life, but it wasn't his total life. Why don't you look at his life and how he got to this impressive stage of leadership, of being a religious scholar? Why don't you take lessons from the way he lived because you're living? Why do you always focus that, you know, Baba Deep Singh Ji was great because he fought without his head? Why not that Baba Deep Singh Ji was great because he lived Gurbani and showed us how to live like the Guru Granth Sahib wants us to live? Yeah, that's amazing. Um I even if I would have wanted to put it in that way, I couldn't have, and I don't think I told that Jane that either. Uh, yeah, it's exactly that. You're right. It's to, it's the life that led him up to that point, not that point in particular, right? Uh, you need to take a look at the whole, um, the whole seventy plus years that he uh, he lived on this earth, and that goes on to other, of course, other figures too, right? Well, definitely. I mean. This thing has been put among us, like, you know, General Patton told his men, it's not the man who dies for his, uh, it's not the bastard who dies for his country that matters, it's the bastard who makes the other bastard die for his country who matters to me. Yeah, in combat, in life, 
there are times when you need to make the ultimate sacrifice, but that's not really the point of your life, is it? That I'm just going to go and make the ultimate sacrifice. That's what led you up to the point and gave you strength to make that sacrifice that matters. Yeah, definitely. It's 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 your it's your path, it's your knowledge. And for us as a punt, it is the Sikhi, right? So um if you really want to put it that way is to what General Patton was saying. If it's the if it's this bastard that had written this grunt and has led to um led to some six believe this or believe that, um we're shooting ourselves in the foot because that's not the way that's not that's not the way we should grow and how growth even works as a nation, as the Sikh nation, as the Sarbat Khalsa, right? Right. I mean that's what I see with the historical grunts, like, you know, they now and then don't try either they touch on the real mystical point that if you do this if you do that you will get something from Vahiguru. i mean you look at Pakht through lodge and shabbats and the guru grants you cannot escape the consequences of your actions here the Atiyasik grants seem to be providing us with a shortcut or otherwise it's all about the sheep the sake and then you know Something I've seen, especially now, this is June. I mean, I grew up in the late 90s. I saw what was happening in the Punjab was that so many of the fighters died and we went to honor them. But they achieved so less in terms of the subsequent victories, you know, after they died. And why I'm saying this is that everyone to me when I was younger seemed to be in a race to die. No one seemed to be in a race to realize the fruits of those who had died earlier, you know, to build upon those victories. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that comes on the basis then of Seva, right? And how we're so affixated on one uh, that there are other means and ways that you can uh, help the punt grow and give benefit to the punt. I get what you're saying there. I, I, that's actually new to me. I, yeah, I, it's an eye-opener. I mean, if like, I studied the life of Nawab Kapoor Singh from, you know, historical grants, the few that mention him, you know, talked with his descendants, read other books written in the 20th and 21st century. And I sort of concluded that, you know, here was a man who also tried surviving to ultimately, you know, plant a tree successfully that he knew he would never sit in its shade, but at least the punt would have its shade. And He's actually also one of the longest-lived Sikh leaders as well. He was never in a race to die or kill himself, but if there was a time when he did feel like that, he always trained a future generation of leaders, you know, made sure that they would be able to take him somewhere. So you learn so much nuance and so much political strategy from his life. But then if you present that uh, story of Nuab Kapoor Singh from the Panth Prakashan, they will always present the same story, which is about the horses and how he was given Nuabi. You get the impression that it was also random, like Wahigru built it. And then you sit down and decide, well, you know what? I'm not going to do anything myself. Wahigru will provide us another Nwab Kapoor Singh. Except Nwab Kapoor Singh's mission was that, you know, I am Nwab Kapoor Singh, but you're also Nwab Kapoor Singh. You're also Nwab Kapoor Singh. You're also Nwab Kapoor Singh. After I die, there should be an army of Nwab Kapoor Singhs ready to replace me. Yep. That is that is the growth. That is the growth of the of the Sikh nation, the Sarbat Khalsa. The, um, we can't just sit around in limbo and uh, even want to say if something's going to happen eventually, it's going to happen and it will come through. I've heard this time. Uh, if it's not happening, it's hukum, right? Uh, there's sort of uh, the sort of lens there. And that's just not the reality. That's just not how even things work. That's just not how the punt works, right? And you mentioned the 
the um the analogy of Jatadar Nawab Kapoor Singh. And uh it's exactly that. He 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 came in as a character and, and like you said, a lot of the things that you mentioned uh as that we know is fact of Nawab Kapoor Singh comes from historical studies that have been done after these grunts have come out. So um it's just that. It's exact it's exactly that. We wanna we as our own individuals want to keep this tree growing, keep this tree healthy so that even we are not in the shade. I'm not sure what kind of analogy I'm trying to say here, but what I'm trying to say is that um, it's up to us, right? And we are in a better position, right? As even Carr had mentioned too, and just what is history is even his introduction is uh, we are in a better position now. It is arguable. There's this paradox I was thinking about even earlier. Um, we might even know Sikhi now than we could have said in 1750, in 1850, right? Yep. And Definitely. it's that paradox. It's that paradox. But then you come back to people saying, oh, no, the Puratan Granth may say this, and that was closer. And it's arguable from each side. But I really... Um, just looking at everything, looking through historiography, um, I really think uh, that it's it's the it's the former. We're in a better spot now. Well, obviously, I mean, you imagine if you were a warrior back then. You know, you woke up, you tied your bana, you put on your armor, you had your five Ks, you went out to fight, and you died. Today, we have the Guru Granth Sahib lying there for us in the Gurdwaras. How many of us are going to go read it? And you know, especially given the fact our forefathers died just to you know even be allowed to have a gurdwara in the first place yeah yeah that's a that's a really heavy thought that always comes into my mind it's that um um and i hope it's definitely for other gurdwaks too it's that just think about how many uh how many lives were given for us to get here and um how it would have continued even on to these eras that in which these grunts were being produced there were still these these sapahis right these things and singnia were out there and uh uh, living that life so that they would have done that. And so now we're here in that position. Let's continue the same as to looking through our history. I mean, I won't mention his name. I have a friend in Denmark who's a historian. He's probably written 200 articles on the Shigur Panth Prakash. Now, if the Panth Prakash was a cow, it would be a pretty emaciated cow because my friend would have milked the last damn drop of blood out of that cow. His entire career is built right. on the Shri Guru Pant Prakash, the economies of Shri Guru Pant Prakash, the economics of Shri Guru Pant Prakash, the finance of Shri Guru Pant Prakash. And one day he rang me and he said, do you want to read my new article? And I asked him, well, what is that? Oh, the economies of the weaponry systems of the Shri Guru Pant Prakash. And wow. <laughs> I was uh, blown away and I asked him, like, uh, how, how, like, I told him, you know, you shouldn't be like a historian specializing in Sikh history. We should just give you the title of, you know, doctor so-and-so specializing in the Sheikh or Panth Prakash. Anyway, he felt pretty insulted after that. But uh, <laughs> another thing which comes to mind here is that surely there must be more Granths out there, are more historical manuscripts waiting to be found all over the subcontinent. Yeah, definitely. And... Um... It's kind of sad that, uh, especially we're talking about it now in the first week of June, that, uh, you know, coming to my mind right now, it's the the burning of the Sikh reference library by the Indian Army. We lost a lot there. and um, But nevertheless, you know, we're finding these sort of things um, still around in different repositories and archives. I mean, I, I think just recently, just really even uh, 
I want to say in the past five years, uh, there was a uh, there was a university in I want to say Denmark again that had a really really old Puratan handwritten sarup entirely larivar of Guru Granth Sahib, and we just flipped open at a random ang and just sitting there in the library, and uh, it was up until now that uh, that point I would say that Sangat had not come across it, and then. Uh, some sort of outrage was put up against the university that, hey, you cannot have this really old Pratan Sarup like that. Even if you are to hold on to it, it cannot be in the way that it is just in display in a library like that. I don't know uh, what the uh, consequences or result of that was. Uh, I've never, I never followed up on it. But um, it's definitely possible that these sort of things can still be around and uh, just and just being here. Um, and there's absolutely no mean as to why we can't pull something out and uh, critique that and put it up against what we already have. Definitely, because I remember in New Zealand uh, 10 years ago, I believe they actually had a sword in a museum on, in the South Island, um, Indian soldiers' sword. It was a really regal royal sword until a Gora historian decided to study these swords. And ultimately, they discovered that this sword was actually, I believe, used in the Battle of Nodan by none other than Guru Gobind Singh Ji himself. Wow, that's impressive. Um, quick note, want to compare that to how there has been some claims of, can't believe, I don't remember, it might be the India, could be Sri Nandpur Sahib too, where there's, uh, sometimes there's this picture that's circulated of, uh, of, um, I don't remember if it's a double-edged sword, but it's said to be the sword of, um, Ali. Ali. Yes. Yeah. Sword of Ali, which, uh, which was gifted by then Emperor Bahadur Shah to uh, Guru Gobind Singh. Whereas that sword most likely probably is not. Uh, I really don't want to believe that. Oh, no, definitely. Personally, uh, I don't even believe that myself. I mean, lots of research needs to be provided. Anyhow, what advice would you have for younger Sikhs today if they want to follow in your path into uh, historiography? It goes back to Gurmat, right? It goes back to what Guru Nanak was always saying is just question everything. Use logic. Question, right? What are we looking at? Uh, what do we have here? What is being put forward to us um, as a punt, as a whole? What are we looking at? What are we digesting? And then why, right? So exactly in terms of this historiography, right? This studying um, these methods, uh, that which historians have uh, used to develop history in academia in particular, um, is that it's, it's your question and know that what I had mentioned earlier, we are in a better spot now than what we would have been previously. And uh, we are is still in a position to grow. And we are also always in a position to challenge and learn. And it doesn't even need to be so that the challenge is then uh, proven right you could still be proven wrong it's fine but um know that the history that we have right now know that the history that's being given to us and especially through these Puratan grunts and whatnot these older really much older texts uh that they they are allowed to be critiqued they are historians too right they are normal they are normal human beings of of the punt and just trying to get uh our own understanding as to what they would have had in that time. And speaking of that time, we are now allowed to look at the understanding of the punt in our time. 
Definitely. I mean, if you look at works like Herodotus, when they actually brought these out in the early 20th century, late 18, uh, 19th century, all the works of ancient Greeks and Romans, they cut out all the crap and they just kept all the uh, accurate details. And these were the works which were actually read solely in military academies and, you know, especially given to boys with adventuresome streak. And these works found their, themselves in the hands of, you know, Dwight Eisenhower, uh, George Patton, Winston Churchill, Roosevelt. And ultimately these works, because they were so refined, they provided the incentive for these men to actually, you know, just jump into World War II. And uh, I want to say the F word, but, you know, they just effed the enemy straight away because they had this inspiration behind them from history. And we can do the same ourselves as yeah. long as we are able to refine our narratives. Yep. You mentioned at the military schools. That's exactly what would have been uh, being done during Baba Deep Singh's time, right? Um, and you're in the position to uh, right, F and go on and uh, do these sort of things. And we all as a collective bunt, uh, not only are we allowed to do it, we can do it. So there really shouldn't be anything in our path. I mean, think about it. The intellectualism of Guru Nanak finally produced good the guru gobind singh who wielded his sword right mm -hmm. so our intellectuals our academics have a sacred duty towards our future generations because they will be the ones shaping the future warriors and preachers it's exactly that um it's what's written that goes on to uh uh give us that sort of power right um i just made this analogy and i had connected the dots um Right, we know Guru Gobind Singh asking for uh, asking for five heads, right, at City Nandapur. Yep. Why? Well, Guru Nanak had said, right, if you want to play this game of love with me, give me your head, right? Yep, definitely. And you know, Guru Gobind Singh also asked for books because Guru Maharaj knew the value of a book. The written word, the Guru Granth Sahib, is the Pandra Pakt, the Gurus, the you know, Gursiks, the parts talking to us across from four to five centuries, maybe even longer because we don't know, we don't have accurate details of the parts' lives. Mm -hmm. All these other works we have are those people talking to us from across the generation. So we need that, you know, reading power today in our panth again as well. And only our academics can provide those. Uh, any last words? Any mistakes we made? <laughs> um... Well, uh, definitely the good old pull took them off for anything, uh, anything misspoken or anyone had taken any, uh, rubbed anyone in a different kind of way. Um, I, I believe these conversations are important um, as what we've been focused on is the growth of the Panth, right? We're, we're allowed to discuss things like these. We're allowed to, we're allowed to critique. We're allowed to challenge. We're allowed to be proven right or we're proven wrong, right? We're, um, we are a nation together and, um, it's, it's us that's going to keep us standing and going forward. Definitely. Thank you very much for joining us today. We're indebted to you and we hope you keep on coming back and back you're one of our popular guests. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. Both, both shukranda. Thank you. Vaheguru Ji Ka Khalsa. Vaheguru Ji Ki Fateh. Until next time. Vaheguru Ji Ka Khalsa. Vaheguru Ji Ki Fateh.